0: To be perfect as the Father is perfect. That's an impossible commandment. How can we possibly live up to this? The Father is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He is omniscient. He knows everything. And He is omnipresent. He is everywhere. I am not any of those things. And I don't think any of you are either. We're just humans, fallen and broken with our concerns and worries. How can we possibly fulfill what God is asking of us here? Not only that, but I don't even know if it's desirable to do these things. I don't even know if it makes sense to do them. Listen to some of these examples. If anyone goes to law with you over your tunic, hand over your cloak as well. I don't know if any of, any of you has been sued, whether justly or unjustly. And Jesus here doesn't say, if anyone wants to go, without, to go to law with you over your tunic for a just cause. He doesn't make that qualification. He just says, someone goes to law with you. So imagine somebody wants to go to law with you for an unjust cause and say they want to sue you for $5,000. Not only give over your tunic, but a hand over your cloak as well. Give them an additional $5,000. Do not turn your back on one who wants to borrow. Sometimes we need to do that. That's a good thing to do. The right thing to do. To lend to someone else in need. Especially if we know them to be a good person, to be reliable, and to be in need in a pinch. We help them out. But no one? Turn your back on no one? What if somebody has an addiction to gambling? Is it really the right thing to lend them money? Love your enemies. Our enemies are usually the ones who hurt us regularly, frequently. They've proven to to be ones who are going to hurt us. We really want to love them? Is that the right thing to do? Listen to this Cistercian monk named Erasmo. In this passage, our our Lord reaches the culmination of imperative commands that must appear sheer madness or subversive politics to the ears of his contemporaries. And I would add, not just to his contemporaries, to us. Shared madness or subversive politics. That's how these things appear. So how do we make any sense of this? I think the first clue is in that little word, as. A-S. I couldn't figure out whether that's an adverb or a conjunction. Sometimes it's, it's one, sometimes it's the other. So if any of you are English teachers, please tell me after Mass. A-S. a s, This as... This the, the Catechism of the Catholic Church talks about this. Paragraph 2842. This as is not unique in Jesus' teaching. For example, you therefore must be perfect, as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We just heard that. Be merciful even as... Your Father is merciful. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as... I have loved you, that you also love one another. So he's saying we have to do these things as the Father does these things. And then the last one, as I have loved you. He's talking about himself there. And we'll come back to that at the end. But you see, sometimes Jesus prescribes things. He tells us what to do things. But sometimes he describes them. This is who God is. This is what reality is. We can say that's the twofold mission of Jesus on earth. Why did Jesus come? For two reasons. One, to reveal the Father, to reveal God to us fully. And two, to teach us how to live. Description and prescription. What comes across more loudly in this gospel are the prescriptions, right? Be perfect and love your enemies, etc. But those are all grounded on that description of who God is. And if we look over that too quickly and just start asking ourselves, how can I do these things? How can I fulfill these prescriptions? We miss the bigger reality of how God is wanting to relate to us. And of course, we heard that in the Responsorial Psalm, so beautifully sung. Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger, abounding in kindness. He does not treat us according to our sins, nor requite or repay us according to our faults. See, that's not just who God is in general, in a generic, abstract way. That's how God acts towards each and every one of us. He does not treat us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our faults. So if we go through these examples, some of these again, with that lens of describing God, what do we find? No eye for eye or tooth for tooth. That means that when I do damage to God in in a metaphorical way as I, so say I take an eye from God, He doesn't take my eye in return. He doesn't he doesn't take out his, his vengeance or retribution in that way. No eye for eye or tooth for tooth. When I sin, when I hurt God, so long as I repent, He forgives me. He offers no resistance. He doesn't say, oh, but you still have these attachments in you and you're probably going to do this again. So I better not forgive you. No, He doesn't do that. He forgives us immediately. He offers no resistance to the evil in us. When I strike him on the right cheek, he turns the other one as well. When I ask him for a tunic, he hands me a cloak as well. When I press him into service for one mile, he goes for two miles. When I ask him to borrow something, he does not turn his back on me. That's how he wants to relate to me, and that's how he wants to relate to each one of us. Now, the challenge is, do we know that to be true? And not just know in an intellectual way. Yes, I've heard that, and yes, I can repeat it. But how do we know something? If I read a book about flying a plane, does that mean that I know how to fly the plane? Of course not. I have to fly a plane. I have to act as if I can fly a plane, and I have to learn it over time. And that's how I can say, I know how to fly a plane. But once I get to that point that I fly a plane, I can say, I know how to fly a plane. Do I know that this is how God relates to me? Well, I can just do an examination of how I'm relating to God. Do I relate to God in this way? Do I know that He forgives my sins? One little litmus test is confession. If I think about going to confession, do I experience fear and anxiety? because I'm not sure whether He's going to forgive my sins? If that's the case, then I don't yet know how it is that God wants to relate to me. So we want to work through that. We want to relate to God in the way that God wants to relate to us. If we don't relate to God in this way, if we don't receive His love and mercy in this way, we're not going to relate to other people in that way the prescription is not going to make any sense. Only if we receive the description of who God is and really embody it, can we then turn around and fulfill his prescriptions of how to live. So we have to address it at the root. The root is our relationship with the Father. Listen to this quote by St. Therese of Lisieux. Yes, I feel it even though I had on my conscience all the sins that can be committed, I would go, my heart broken with sorrow, and throw myself into Jesus' arms. That's someone who knows herself to be loved by the Father, who knows that even in all of the sins that she committed, she could go to Him, throw herself into His arms, and be received by Him. That's the invitation for us, too. Not just for the canonized saints in the saint books. They're in the saint books because they're instructing us how to live our lives. We are called to be saints in that same way. To relate to the Father in this way. Here's the hinge. Here's what holds all of this together. Jesus is the one who makes this possible. He is the one who not only receives the love of the Father in that way. Remember His baptism, when the Father said, This is my Son, my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Jesus knows Himself fully to be the Son of the Father. No ifs and ends and buts about it. And He goes out and fulfills all of these prescriptions. He was accused unjustly and he not only gave his tunic, but he handed his cloak as well. He was pressed for service for one mile and he went for two miles. He was struck on the right cheek and he turned the other one as well. Jesus did all of these things. Why? Because he was the son. Of the Father, capital S, Son. So the invitation for us is to now be grafted into the person of Christ, in that relationship with the Father, as sons and daughters. Be sons and daughters in the Son, and stand in the same place as Jesus, in His relationship to the Father. That's what Christianity is about. We can be transformed from being creatures, Loved creatures as we are. For having been created by a loving God. A loving creator. But be transformed from just being creatures. To being sons and daughters of the Father. In the same way that Jesus. Is the son of the Father. We can take that place in that relationship. Okay. So how do we do that? I can just try to make this a little bit concrete. Give a couple of concrete. Prescriptions. Recommendations for this week to step into that relationship a little bit more. First, I'll just give a little analogy in, a, in regards to, to my leg. You know, I had knee surgery not too long ago, and I've been recovering, thanks be to God. And just earlier in physical therapy, the, earlier this week, we discovered that my leg developed a little bit of a defense mechanism. Every time, if I, if I extend my leg fully and put my whole weight on it, that hurts, there's still some inflammation there, so that pinches. So if you imagine this here to be my leg, every time I take a step, my leg doesn't want to extend 100% of the way. It goes 95% of the way and then it coils back up. So in physical therapy, I have to work through that. And I have to work through the pain and reteach my leg how to extend fully with every step. Some of you have been through surgery and physical therapy, you know what that's like. Well, it's similar in our relationship with the Father, in our spiritual life. We've been hurt in different ways, not by the Father, by other people, consequence of sin. We've been hurt, and so now we develop little defense mechanisms. I don't want to extend myself the whole way. If I go the whole way, it's going to hurt. So I'm just going to go 98% of the way, and that will protect me. Well, it's true, we stay protected. But what's also true, we're not transformed into sons and daughters of the Father. To do that, we have to go all the way. Like Jesus did. All the way to the cross. So, okay, I said it was going to be concrete, and that wasn't. So let's try again. So two concrete ways of going forward this week. The first is, go to confession. The church says at least once a year, preparation for Easter is a great time. We have Lent coming up. But that's really not enough. We have to go to confession regularly. Not because we're terrible people, not because we want to chastise ourselves, but because we want to receive God's mercy. That's what the confessional is about. When we're transparent to God and we tell Him what it is that we did through the priest, we say that to God. And God, again through the priest, gives us those words, I absolve you of your sins and forgives us fully. The more we go, the more we receive His mercy, the more we lean into this reality of being sons and daughters of a loving Father. And the second is to just increase our daily prayer a little bit. Wherever we are, plus one. So a concrete recommendation, if you're not doing any silent prayer on a daily basis, start with 15 or 20 minutes of silent prayer every day. You know, the guys that are doing Exodus 90 with me in Staten. We're committed to doing at least 20 minutes of silent prayer every day. And I can tell you, and I've heard it from the other guys, that's really hard. It's really hard to stay in silence for 20 minutes. Not praying a rosary, not reading scripture, not listening to Christian music. All of these, these things are good things. But in that 20 minutes of silence, just being in silence before the Lord. That's really tough when we start out. Why? Because all of these voices started coming up. Usually self-accusations, I'm bad in this way, I'm terrible in this way, or accusations about others. My brother or my sister is bad in this way or that way. And that really starts to be loud noise in our voice and in our hearts. That's the, the stuff that's in our hearts that's preventing us from being transformed, from living as sons and daughters of God. So by growing in silence, silent prayer, we can bring that to the surface and give it to the Father, and He will transform it. And that's what he wants to do. That's why we come to Mass, we come to the church, and the priest lifts up that bread and the wine, and he transforms it into his body and blood. And he offers it to the Father, offering all of us in that same motion. So in closing, I'll just close with this quote by a spiritual author named Jean Carbone that I think ties these things together. If we consent in prayer to be flooded by the river of life, our entire being will be transformed. We will become trees of life and be increasingly able to produce the fruit of the Spirit. We will love with the very love that is our God.